Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. First, some news. We got a, a couple of news things here. Um, I am going to be doing audio rooms on the Halftime Hoops app. So, Halftime is it, it's a cool basketball community. It's an app where you can go, you can make like blog posts if you want. You can just have discussions on different posts and you can host audio rooms where people come in they can either just listen to people talk or join in on the conversation and talk it's a lot like clubhouse if you know what the clubhouse app is like or even like twitter spaces which is like a new feature on twitter it's similar to those but it's a, a much more niche community um everyone can interact with everyone it's a very public space and uh it's super cool so if you want to come and I'll be hosting audio rooms um, like once a week about on that app. Uh, so it's going to be super fun. And um, I've already hosted a couple already. So if you want to download the app and check it out and uh, spread the word, that would be awesome because it is a super cool app that I'll be taking part in. So that one's out of the way. And second, Loki. So some Marvel news for all my Marvel fanboys and fangirls out there. Loki is going to actually be taking airing on Disney Plus on Wednesdays. So the previous two shows, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, have been airing on Fridays. And then I would do the for Captain and uh for Falcon and Winter Soldier, I did the Marvel Mondays. Can't do Marvel Mondays now with the show taking place on Wednesday. There's just too much time in between. So what I'll be doing from now on is w recording on Wednesday, put out the usual episode, I'll watch Loki, and then I'll probably record an episode right after that, and then just put it out on Friday. Uh, I think there's two episodes out, I haven't watched it yet, um, so that's how that's going to go, and it's only six episodes, I believe, Loki is, so it's going to be quick. Um, We'll put this out, and then next week, I'm actually going to be away for the entire week, so there's not going to be an episode next week, and uh, I'll say it again at the end of the episode, and I'll probably tweet it out uh, next week as well, but I'm going to be away. I'm not going to be able to record, so we'll skip next week, but this week will be the this normal episode, obviously, and then the Loki episode on Friday. We'll have a week off and then we'll come back next week with uh, a, a new episode on Wednesday. And then what would probably be Loki's episode three and four on that Friday. Um, and then the week after that, we'll do Loki episode five and then Loki episode six. So again, I, th I believe the first two episodes premiered right now. Next week is off, and the week after that will be episodes three and four, and then after that will be episodes five, and then another week, episode six. So that's how this next couple weeks are going to pan out in terms of uh, Loki and, and how it goes out. I'm, I'm very excited for it. It's going to be interesting uh, what direction they go, and especially the ending is really what I'm looking forward to because... There's there's a lot that they can go with this in terms of plot lines and time travel and uh, restructuring the MCU, honestly, because this is the first look we get at this alternate timeline that was created from Avengers Endgame. So super excited to wrap up this episode, honestly, and, and go and watch that. But let's get into the, uh, the episode here we'll focus on right now on uh, this Wednesday. The first bit of news, we got a little football and then a lot of basketball, and then I cry about the Yankees at the end. That's pretty much how this episode's going to go. So first and foremost, Julio Jones makes his exit from Atlanta. The Titans are the lucky winners, and they got him for cheap. The Titans are sending a 2022 second-round pick, so second-round pick in, this, in the new upcoming draft after this football season. And then a 2023 fourth 
and sixth round picks. So three draft picks, um, including a second round pick for Julio Jones. Not bad at all. Uh, I believe, so the Titans didn't have the cap space to take on Julio Jones' contract. I believe it was Ryan Tannehill who stepped up and restructured his contract. A couple other players probably did as well, but I think Ryan Tannehill was the most prominent like name on the Titans that was willing to, not willing, but that stepped up and restructured his deal so Julio can come in and uh, be a part of the, the Titans. And now you got a really loaded offense. Um, you let Corey Davis walk, but you come in and pretty much just bring in Julio Jones for what it would probably end up being cheaper for you. Um, and he is going to wear number eight, I'm assuming, because I saw he, he wore eight in college. And um, I think he said A.J. Brown can keep number 11. So he's going to switch to number eight because single digit numbers are now allowed for everyone. Everyone can pick their own number. It does. There's no like regulations on what positions can wear what numbers. So uh, I'm waiting for an offensive lineman to change their number to like one. <laughs> so. You got a Titans offense now with Ryan Tannehill, who can throw a deep ball. He's got a big arm. Julio loves the deep ball. And uh, so you have Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown. Last year, they were one of the best offenses in the NFL. And now you swap out Corey Davis with Julio Jones. I say that's an upgrade. Uh, even though I really, I'm high on Corey Davis, and I like him a lot. And I think he'll help the Jets tremendously he has a chance to have like a career year this year um and show what he's really about but with the titans like they are that's a that's a legitimate threat man that they their defense still needs a lot of work um they're very inconsistent defensively but offensively if you're gonna get into a scoring match with the titans uh i feel like that's not really a favorable situation to be in so Julio's out of Atlanta, Titans got better, and uh, I guess the Falcons, they're essentially, what their game plan is, I would assume, is guys like Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley are going to be there for the foreseeable future and can carry Atlanta past the Matt Ryan phase. Because you could say, okay, well, they're, you know, they're trading Julio because uh, they have Kyle Pitts, and he didn't want to be there. Okay, fine, cool. But you can also look at it from a completely different angle where it's like, if you're a Falcons fan and you draft Kyle Pitts, you're like, all right, we're, we're reloading, we're ready to go, we're going to go in and try and compete and, and play at a high level this year. We got another weapon for Matt Ryan. That's great. But if the plan all along, and I don't really know if this was the plan all along. It feels like Julio probably knew well in advance. I don't know how far in advance the Falcons knew that Julio Jones didn't want to be there anymore. Um, I believe it was the rumors started pre-draft. So this could have changed things. But if you knew you were trading Julio Jones, wouldn't you want to draft a more important position like an offensive lineman or or a defensive lineman something more important than just like a super versatile tight end i know Kyle Pitts has the chance to be like a complete nightmare for some defenses but if you're trading Julio Jones wouldn't you want a more essential position but again i think what the falcons plan is that Kyle Pitts is going to be really good and they already have Calvin Ridley, who's also really good. And people can say, oh, Calvin Ridley only benefited because Julio Jones was lining up across him. Julio Jones has been injured for the past few years. He's, he's been banged up. He's missed games. And Calvin Ridley has still played very, very well. So I, I think it's safe to say that Calvin Ridley is just a really good wide receiver. And he wasn't just uh, benefiting from the circumstances of having an all-pro caliber wide receiver line up across the field from him. Um, unlike like Juju and Antonio Brown. And I think Juju's really good, but ever since AB left, it's not really comparable. Like he hasn't been putting up the same stats 
as he was when Antonio Brown was there. I don't think that's going to be the case with Calvin Ridley. And even now, you have Kyle Pitts. So he, he's going to be a mismatch nightmare. And I think the Falcons' plan is, like I said, that those two guys are going to be able to kind of be the cornerstones of that offense for at least four or five years, maybe a few of those being with Matt Ryan and then trying to get a rookie quarterback in there. I would assume that's the plan. Because if it's not, then I really don't know what Atlanta is doing because they, they would essentially be in the same spot as they were last year. Probably worse off if you're just literally swapping Kyle Pitts in with, or swapping Julio Jones out with Kyle Pitts. Awards, NBA awards, the only one to not be announced now, after the two that have been announced this past week, is the Rookie of the Year award. But we did get our Coach of the Year and MVP this past week, and the Coach of the Year is Tom Thibodeau. Thank God. Rightfully deserved. Um, I obviously wouldn't have really put up much of a fight if it was Monty Williams. He's done an incredible job and essentially has turned the Suns around the same way that Thibs has turned the Knicks around. But Monty had a lot more to work with. Uh, Devin Booker is better than any player the Knicks have. And then they get Chris Paul on top of it. Again, better than any player the Knicks have. So he had, he had a lot more to work with, but still going from a team that wasn't in the playoffs to having the second best record in the NBA, there's a lot of moving parts that have to do with that. Devin Booker getting better, Chris Paul's leadership and his talent as a point guard, and the head coach has a lot to do with it. I gave Monty Williams a lot of credit for last year. If you saw him in the bubble, he did tremendous work with the Suns. I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for the kind of player that Devin Booker has become. Um, he's a great head coach, and I would not have disputed it at all if he won Coach of the Year. But Thibs absolutely deserves this. I mean, he has been spectacular. I think, you know, I, I've said I was wrong about him before. I owe him an apology. Obviously, when this signing took place last summer, I was against it. I thought it was a terrible choice. Given his track record, I just didn't see how he f would fit in with the current roster that the Knicks have. I, I, had, I did not believe that he was the guy that was going to be the one to turn this around. But he was. And he, he turned the Knicks around. R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, uh, you know, he, he ran them, man. Like, they played a lot of minutes in a lot of games. And I believe they were tops in the league in terms of minutes played or two of the top players in the league in terms of minutes played per game. And that's the, the Tom Thibodeau way, you know? He plays his stars. They play a lot. And you can look back and, and with the Bulls, with Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson and Joakim Noah, Luol Deng, that team, they played a lot of minutes. And, of course, he has his trusty Bulls guys here who have followed him around since their Chicago days. They were in Minnesota together, all three of them, and now they're in New York together, all three of them. And uh, the, the Knicks went out and, and traded back for D. Rose because they had him. He left, and then they traded him, traded for him again. Uh, so they could have um, that trio back together because Thibs loves his guys, man. He loves them, and they love him, and they play hard for him, um, and they play well. Derrick Rose got an MVP vote. Uh, it was from the fans. It was the fan vote for the MVP, but he still got an MVP vote regardless, and that's really, really cool. I think Julius Randle finished fifth in MVP voting, and the Knicks just... They were, a, a real, this is probably the last time I'm going to be able to talk about the Knicks for a while on this podcast, I feel like. So, um, they, they played really well, man. All year, they exceeded expectations beyond belief. Like, I don't think there was a soul on earth that would believe you if you told them the Knicks would win 40-plus games this year. Um, and if they said, yeah, that's possible. They're lying through their teeth or they're just stupid. 
Like, <laughs> no one, no one thought the Knicks would be this good this year. Uh, and did it come to a disappointing end? Yeah, it did. They they got outclassed and outplayed and outcoached, quite honestly, by the Hawks. Um, and then they just, it wasn't a match. Trey Young was very overwhelming. To, he was, Trey Young is better than any one player than the Knicks have as well. Um, and that was glaringly obvious, you know, in, in the NBA playoffs, if you don't have the best, the best player, it's, it's very rare that you win a playoff series, a best of seven playoff series in the NBA when you don't have the best player. It's very rare. Um, and that's why a lot of times it's, it's celebrated that the, these upsets when, when things like this happen, but Thibs did a lot. He changed the culture of New York, him along with Leon Rose and World Wide West. They changed the culture of New York as, as well as the players. The players have a lot to do with that. RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, even Derek Rose. They have injected life into this organization and into this team. And honestly, Thibs, his personality, I think, meshes really well with New York. Um, he doesn't take shit. He yells a lot. He screams to, uh, to his players, to the officials, to whoever. It doesn't matter. It seems like he's always riled up and uh, he's very loud. And I feel like just in that sense, he meshes really well with the city of New York and New Yorkers. And that's why they, you know, we love him. I, I, I've grown to love Thibs this entire, this entire season. Uh, so it's, it's awesome that he was recognized uh, and given that Coach of the Year award. As for the MVP, the second award that was announced, uh, I believe that was announced yesterday, Nikola Jokic, Denver Nuggets MVP. Um, he ran away with it. He received 91 first place votes, which are by far the most. Um, the top three voting, I believe, was uh, Jokic winning. And then I think Curry actually came in second. Or Embiid did. Uh, I, I don't remember which one it is. It, it's Embiid or Curry in that order. Those were the top three. Um, and those were the finalists. But Jokic ran away with it. Um, so. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. That was really kind of the consensus of throughout, you know, probably this later half of the year. It was, it seemed like the media, that's who they were running with. And he deserved it. A hundred percent deserved it. I do wonder how it would have turned out if Joel Embiid didn't miss 20 games this year. Now, granted, he was never going to play as many games as Jokic, um, but that injury that he got that caused him to miss a majority of that game, those games, I think he missed like 15 games or something like that, that's a lot. And no matter how well he played after the fact, it would have been very difficult for him to kind of reestablish himself as the front runner for the MVP award. So Jokic getting it completely deserved. Uh, I think, hypothetically speaking, if Embiid was healthy, I think he would have won the MVP because I think he was the front runner. Really, him and Jokic were like duking it out, but I think Embiid really had the the lead there until he went down with an injury, and then it was kind of a wrap. And of course, there's that whole conversation uh, with N Nick Wright posed this question, and he stated it on air um, on his TV show that Nikola Jokic is probably the worst MVP that the league has seen in the past 25 years. I don't necessarily, I, I don't really think that's true. Um, there, there are guys that you could probably point to and say Nikola, Nikola Jokic is worse than, and I don't really know what the guidelines for that are. Um, is it like, when it's all said and done, we're going to look back on his career and be like, wow, he probably had the worst career out of any MVP in the past, you know, 20 years. What is the criteria for that? Are we just looking at the actual MVP season and matching it up with other MVP seasons? It's a very stupid argument. Um, that being said, if you're ranking the MVPs, someone's got to come in last. I don't necessarily know if it's Jokic, and I'm not going to sit here 
and read out the last 25 MVPs and rank them in order for you guys. That would take far too long. And honestly, I don't know if anyone really wants to listen to that because it's all subjective. Um, you, you can, especially if you haven't, if you weren't around to really consume basketball at a high level during a lot of those times. Like, I certainly wasn't. I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to go back to, like, 1998 or 1999 or 2000 or 01 or even 02 and tell you that those guys are worse than Jokic or uh, Jokic is worse than them. I'm not in any position to do that because back in, you know, 2001, 2002, I was five, six years old. Like, yeah, I may have been watching basketball, but I wasn't, like, intellectual about it, right? I wasn't fluent in basketball. I watched it for entertainment. Um, it wasn't probably until 2006 or 2007 that I really kind of started understanding basketball on a deeper level than just watching it for entertainment. Um, and like looking at people's games and being like, well, he's good or he has potential or anything like that. Right. And, and that's me being kind of generous. All right. If we're talking about like analyzing players on a deep level in terms of games and taking statistics and other shit like that into consideration, that probably didn't happen until I was about 16, 17 years old, which was in 2012, 2013. So it's, it's kind of stupid to, to try and rank that and compare these MVPs, but I don't necessarily blame Nick Wright. Like, that's human nature, and it's a talking point for a TV show, like a sports TV show, so whatever. But Jokic certainly deserved it. He's an outstanding player. And let us not forget that when he was drafted into the National Basketball Association in the second round with the 41st overall pick, a Taco Bell Quesarito commercial was airing on the television. So it was that point in the draft, um, and that's worth noting. He is the latest draft pick to have ever won MVP. Um, an undrafted player, I, I don't believe an undrafted player has ever won MVP. Otherwise, it would be that. But he is the latest round, the latest draft pick to have ever won MVP. 41st overall, a second round draft pick, Nikola Jokic out of Serbia. So there you go. Congrats to Jokic. Like I said, well-deserved. And I just got a notification, which is pretty funny. Uh, Pat Riley got fined $25,000 for saying he'd leave a shiny key under the mat for LeBron James if he wanted to return to the Heat. That's pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty funny. Um, anyway, Jokic. Yeah, well-deserved. And um, this Nuggets-Sun series is going to be insane. Game two is tonight. The Suns lead 1-0. They had a very dominant showing in game one. Four players scoring 20-plus points for Phoenix. Uh, DeAndre Ayton played really well. He seemed like he gave Nikola Jokic a little bit of fits. And I think DeAndre Ayton is really the key to this series because Jokic is the Nuggets' best player. He's their best playmaker. Um, and he's the number one scoring option, really. So if you have someone like DeAndre Ayton who gets his on offense, he can give you he can give you buckets on offense. He's got a nice little mid range game. He's good in the post. He's a tough rebounder, but he's also a long, athletic, seven foot seven one center. He's got big size and good length. So if he's the one that's giving Jokic problems. He is the X factor. It, I, I, I don't think the Suns come out and like sweep the Nuggets or anything like that. Um, realistically speaking, my guess would probably be Suns in six. But DeAndre Ayton, if, if game one is any indication, DeAndre Ayton is going to be the X factor in this series. And I, I will talk about the NBA playoffs a little bit. But first, more housekeeping uh, around the league. Portland fires Terry Stotts the only NBA head coach that Damian Lillard has ever had. Uh, the Magic fired Steve Clifford, and the Pacers fire Nate Bjorkgren after one season. 
So three firings around the league thus far, three head coaching vacancies in the in Portland, Orlando, and Indiana. Uh, with Portland, Damian Lillard publicly endorsed the fact that he would want Jason Kidd to be the next the next head coach of Portland. I have no idea why Jason Kidd gets recognition or consideration for any of these head coaching jobs. He has no good track record as being a head coach. So I really don't know why he does that or he gets that. But Lillard endorsed him and he came out and said that he was uncomfortable pursuing that after Damon Lillard's endorsement. Um, So he's not going to, he's withdrawing his name from consideration for the Portland job. I thought that was kind of weird, but. He, I guess he just doesn't want to coach in Portland, so he's like getting out ahead of him. Be like, yeah, that's very flattering and all, but uh, no, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, Orlando is a work in progress, and so is Indiana. They've underperformed. Um, they've been banged up. It's just they, I don't know. They they got a little to work with, but not a whole lot, you know. And then Orlando's obviously in a, a huge rebuild kind of mode. Trading Aaron Gordon, who's actually been fantastic for Denver, uh, and probably one of their probably their best perimeter defensive player this playoff so far. But with Portland, they got a lot to think about. Not only who their next head coach is going to be, but what are they going to do with their roster? Because they've had the same core players for a handful of years now, and it's resulted in one conference finals appearance and then a bunch of first round exits so it it, they're in a tough situation um obviously you can't trade Damian Lillard because first off his contract is outrageous but if any team is able to take on that contract and can trade for him they would do it in a heartbeat so that's really not like a huge factor um but if you trade Damian Lillard away from Portland you're starting from you know ground zero you're you're blowing it up and and that's it and you're back into a rebuild mode for the next like 4 or 5 years. He is an unbelievable talent. So you're not trading him. So that kind of defaults to the fact do you trade CJ McCollum? He doesn't have a very friendly contract either and he's he's kind of underperformed. Oh in the play in the playoffs specifically, he has underperformed. So can you trade him? Do you trade him? Like what you're not going to get a superstar free agent to sign with Portland. Just one of those things, man. And it's unfortunate, but like a lot of these franchises, their successes have come through the draft and only the draft. I mean, you look at San Antonio, the biggest free agent signing they've ever had in the past, you know, in the past 25 years, dating back to David Robinson has been like LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge has been the biggest free agent signing that the Spurs have had in like the past 25 years. They draft, they they have drafted their dynasty. Tim Duncan, Manu, and Tony Parker were drafted. And David Robinson was drafted as well by the Spurs. So that's where really all their success has stemmed from. And they're the San Antonio Spurs. They are widely regarded as one of the best franchises in the NBA, super well-respected. Greg Popovich is electric. Like, they got good ownership. Uh, they are a very well-run and very well-respected franchise, but you don't see them pining for these superstar free agents because not many people want to go to San Antonio. Couldn't really tell you why, but it, it just that's just the way it is. Um, and then other franchises across the league, obviously, it's the same thing. Um, you know, no superstar wants to go to Milwaukee. No superstar wants to go to Orlando, Sacramento. Uh, it, it, it's tough. It's tough. But that's just the way it is. There, uh, you know, Memphis, Charlotte, the Hornets, you're not getting superstars to go to these places. So with Portland, that's something that they suffer from. Um, so I don't, I'm not really sure what else you can do aside from going out and trying to sign other defensive specialists because that's really what they need. They, I don't really think there's any shortage of offense for Portland, um, but they, they need to get better defensively. And with your 
main three guys in Lillard, McCollum, and Mello, your main three scoring options really right there, they're not particularly known for good defense. Damian Lillard, honestly, actually Mello might be, at this point in his career, he might be the best defender out of all of them. And Lillard certainly tries, and he puts in a lot of, he puts in effort, um, but, you know, he's like 6'2", 6'3", he's not the best defender in the world. But that's been Portland's problem for the past few years, is that they can't really get stops when they need it. So I have no idea what direction Portland goes in, in with the head coach or revamping the roster. I, I have no idea. It, they are in an, an incredibly tough and delicate spot. As for the rest of the teams left in the playoffs, the Mavs had a very disappointing Game 7 against the Clippers. But now this leaves the fact that a new champion is going to be crowned uh, for the first time in the long time or for the first time ever. Uh, the Mavs were the last team in the playoffs left that have won a playoff, uh, that have won a championship in the last millennia. <laughs> like there every team left has if they've made a finals appearance it hasn't been in over a decade and or they've never won in this you know post 2000 cuz the teams left are the Hawks their last time they won a team championship was 1958 the last time i think they were in a championship was like 61 uh the Nets last championship they were in was 03 but they've never won the Nuggets have never won. The Clippers have never won. The Sixers, last time they won was in 1983. The Suns have never won. And the Jazz have never won. So there's going to be a fresh face as the NBA champion when it's all said and done. Uh, so that's, that's really exciting. And I think that's definitely a good thing for the NBA considering that I think a, a big problem that they have is that Fans are are getting bored, you know. It, it was getting kind of stale there for a while, uh, with the casual fan at least. You know, I'm a LeBron guy, so seeing him and his teams go to the finals for ten straight years that was okay with me. You know, I I was I was perfectly fine with that. Um, but it, what happened with a lot of people is that they get, you know, they get bored. Oh, the Heat are in it. Oh, the Heat won again. The Heat won again. Or the, the Spurs won again. The Spurs and Heat are in it. Uh, the Warriors won. The Warriors are in it again. Oh, the Cavs won. The Warriors and Cavs. Warriors and Cavs. That went on for, you know, five straight years. So it, it, it's going to be nice. And it is nice right now, currently, that the teams vying for uh, a championship are fresh faces. You know, the only team that... It's weird because the Nets are obviously a team. They've never won a championship. They haven't even been to the finals since 2003. So they are pretty far removed. The thing with them is that feels different in comparison to all the other teams is that they have three guys that have been in the playoffs and deep runs into the playoffs for multiple years now. Obviously, Kevin Durant has been going to the finals a handful of times for, or for over a long period of time back with the thunder he made a finals appearance and then he was with the warriors james harden and the rockets have been in like the western conference finals for several consecutive years and then Kyrie, his time with the Cavs and playing against the warriors and then winning the championship these are guys that all have a lot of playoff experience and have more or less in that dominated run of lebron and the warriors have been there, right? They, they've been a part of that in, in some capacity, whether they were on the Warriors and winning like Durant or getting bounced by the Warriors like James Harden. Um, so those guys, they, they've, it's a new franchise for the Nets that are like, okay, they've never won a championship, but the guys that are leading the charge have been in this position before and we're very familiar with their playoff runs. But if you look around the rest of the league, that's not the case. Um, Giannis and the Bucks, who are currently down two nothing to the Nets, and honestly, they're like treading water right now. It's not looking good for them at all. Um, but they have like they've been trying to get past to that to that level. Um, the Sixers are, have been around for a while, but it feels like this year now more than ever is the is the year that they could possibly do it. Embiid having a torn meniscus is really tough. 
but he's still playing and he putting he's playing at a high level. Um, and it's taking a lot of uh, all their effort right now to get past the Hawks. That series is tied at one. Uh, Trey Young's been fantastic. The Hawks have been playing an incredibly high level of basketball. But the way it feels right now, none of these three teams that are left can take down the Nets. It feels like it's going to be a cakewalk to the finals, to be honest. Uh, and out in the West, you have the Jazz, who are the number one seed, and it feels different for them this year. They have an incredible comeback win against the Clippers, who are a team that they they won Game 7 against the Mavericks, but it always feels like they're disappointing. They were up double digits at halftime. And Donovan Mitchell went from shooting 5 of 14 in the first half to 11, and f- 11 for 15 in the second half. He ended with 45 points on 16 to 30 shooting. He was incredible in the second half of that game. It felt like the first half he couldn't make a shot. Second half he couldn't miss. So that was the turning point for the Jazz. Um, but the Clippers, did, in the end, they had a chance to win. They, they played defense. They got the stops they needed. And they had a chance to tie, excuse, they're not a chance to win at the end of regulation, a chance to tie at the end of regulation. Paul George gives up a shot. Kawhi Leonard passes out of a shot. And you end with the worst matchup out of everything, Marcus Morris in the corner against Rudy Gobert having to loft up a game-winning three. Gobert just jumps at him and blocks the shot. Like, if, if you're the Clippers, you want, I would rather George or Leonard force up a three to try and tie it than Marcus Morris against Rudy Gobert. It, it, it was a bad last sequence for the Clippers, but they did have a chance to tie it at the end of regulation, but the Jazz held out to win a huge game one against the Clippers. Home court, they're down big, they you know chip their way back, and then they go on a huge run, they take the lead. Credit to them, man. Credit to them. They, they, they had a fantastic game. But like I was saying, the Jazz are the number one seed. They've never won before. The Clippers have never won. So those are two teams that are playing each other. And then, of course, in the other series, the Suns and Nuggets, also two teams who have never won before. So it's, it's great to see this. Um, it's very exciting to see if a franchise is going to get their first championship. The odds, that a cha- uh, the odds are in the favor of that, that a franchise will win their first ever championship then a franchise is going to you know, win a champion for a long time. Because the only franchises that have won are the Hawks, Sixers, and Bucks, And I don't think any of them are making out of the East, which leads the Nets, who have never won a championship, and a team from the West out of the Jazz, Clippers, Suns, and Nuggets. And none of them have won either. So it's going to be really cool when that happens, uh, whether it's the Nets or someone else. But I, I touched uh, during that, that little rant. Um, I touched on the fact that I touched on some of the games that happened. So last night was Jazz Clippers was the nightcap and Sixers Hawks was game one. Uh, Sixers Hawks, the Sixers ended up winning 118 to 102, but they pulled away late in the fourth quarter. It was, you know, bang, bang the entire, the entire game. They were going back and forth. Trey Young has been exceptional. Um, he had a little bit of a poor shooting night. Uh, last night, six of 16, one of seven from three. Uh, he did have 11 assists, but only 21 points for him. Gallinari was huge off the bench. He had seven, he shot seven of 15. Uh, Bogdanovich had a couple of big threes. I guess these were the only threes I saw him make all game. I felt like he was shooting pretty well, but he was two of six from three. And the two threes that he made were like in back-to-back possessions with Sixers in his face. I remember one three. He hit from the corner. Danny Green jumped at him from the side, almost high-fived him and took him out. He's lucky he didn't get called for a foul, and Bogdanovich still was able to make it. It was incredible. So I guess that was one of the only threes he made. I felt like he was making it way more. Um, But the Hawks did put up a fight. Joel Embiid, (laughs) uh, the the first... So this could have been a 40-point game. Last game, game one, he scored 39. This game, he scored 40. This is the first time a Sixer has dropped 40 points in a playoff game since Allen Iverson. So it's been a minute, and Joel Embiid, even on a torn meniscus, is giving the Hawks buckets. So I respect Joel Embiid tremendously. Uh, Ben Simmons concerns me a bit. I guess one of his big things in this 
playoff series is defense and guard defense. But he shot three times. Didn't get to the line at all. He was two of three the entire game. Played 35 minutes, was two of three, three rebounds, seven assists, only four points. And you might think, oh, well, he got into foul trouble, right? No, he only had two fouls the entire game. So I am I don't know what's up with Ben Simmons there in that regard or or why like he was a plus 10 when he was on the floor of course and played good defense but like help him beat out a little bit man I, what are you doing the guy's on one knee pretty much and he's still you know shooting 25 times putting up 40 points and he's getting to the line too he he was 12 of 13 from the line so, like, Embiid can't do this all by himself because if he does, you're going to get to the next round and he's not going to have anything left in the tank. And you're most likely going to be going up against the Nets. So that, that Hawks-Sixers matchup is tied 1-1. It's going to be really interesting to ha- see how it plays out. Ben Simmons, got, he's, Simmons has got to step up offensively. He has to. Otherwise, Embiid is toast. So... They got that Eastern, that Eastern Conference round um, is tied up at one. The other one between the Bucks and the Nets, uh, a, a little more lopsided. They don't play till Thursday, so tomorrow. Um, but Brooklyn leads 2-0. And it doesn't really feel like a, a, a fair matchup to be completely honest with you. Uh, game one was without James Harden, and Brooklyn won 115-107. to 107. Game two was with James Harden, and Brooklyn won 125-86. to 86. You got blown out by 40 points, almost. 39 points. In game two, now you're back in Milwaukee. To be quite honest, the Bucks. It's just I. I thought maybe after their domination of Miami, something had changed with Milwaukee. Um. It it doesn't feel that way. Brooklyn is just Brooklyn's too good, man. I think maybe Milwaukee will be able to squeeze out one game, and I think if anything, it'll probably be tonight. They win tonight, first game at home against the Nets. They can win tonight. Giannis will probably have some ridiculous stat line that'll make you think, oh, this is going to turn the series around. Um, I promise you it won't make a difference. Brooklyn's going to win this in five games um, because the Bucks simply do not have enough to stop Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. And that's the way it's been. That's the way it's been, and and you you know I'm in New York, obviously. So listening to you know AM radio, um, listen to these these radio guys talk about the Nets and what they should be worried about coming into the playoffs. The biggest concern I heard from all these guys is that oh they only played eight games together, and the chemistry is going to be off, and that might you know hinder them in the playoffs. When your three best guys are, two of them are top five players, arguably, of course, um, all three of them combined are at minimum top 10. And Kyrie's probably the lowest on that list, but I still probably, you know, I, I would be hard pressed not to include him in the top 10. Um, and he had a career year this year. He shot 50, 40, 90. Granted, he made headlines for the wrong reasons with sitting out and stuff. But that aside, his play on the court was spectacular. So, you have three all-pro caliber players on your team. Chemistry is not going to be an issue, especially because they enjoy each other off the court. Like, they are friends off the court. Uh, they, They respect each other as teammates. They know what each person is capable of playing like. So, like, they, the chemistry is fine, man. It's totally fine. And honestly, even if it wasn't, what's the worst case scenario? You just pass the rock around to Kyrie, Durant, or James Harden and say, go get a basket? 
you're, you're, I like your chances if that's your worst case scenario. So all of this is very uh, trivial. Like, it's not... The Bucks, I think the Bucks are dead in the water. It's just the way it is. We touched on Suns and the Denver Nuggets. DeAndre Ayton's going to be the X Factor in that series. Jazz Clippers. Um, I mean, Kawhi and Paul George, like, they got to just, just guard Donovan Mitchell. One of you has to guard, you have to shadow Donovan Mitchell the entire game. Make someone else beat you. Like, that's it. Plain and simple. If, you, if the Jazz beat you with someone other than Donovan Mitchell scoring like 30, 35, 40 plus points, then God bless them. But I don't think they're capable of doing that. So stop Donovan Mitchell and you'll win the series. And you have two quote unquote elite wing defenders on your team. So the fact that one of them isn't taking up that task is kind of ridiculous. Like, I know they're all, they also happen to be your first two scoring options, but when you're touted as two of the best two-way wing players in the NBA, you need to take that responsibility. And we saw Kawhi do it towards the end of the series with the Mavericks in games six and seven, but you, this you, terrible start. Terrible start. You have a chance to win game one, take home, take home court advantage away from Utah, and you blow it. A, a demore, not even just a, a loss, but a demoralizing loss. Okay, so MLB news to wrap up the pod. Um, the MLB is cracking down on foreign substances. So I wrote a blog saying that I don't think the MLB will ever acknowledge that there's a, a substance problem. Uh, foreign substance problem with pitchers, but they are apparently. And starting soon, umpires will begin to irregularly check pitchers, uh, whether it's in between innings, when they come off the mound, when they enter the game. So be it random times. I don't think they'll stop during the actual play of the inning because that will destroy pace of play. And God knows baseball can't afford that. So it'll be between, in between innings, pitchers coming off the mound, coming on, or, or coming onto the mound, or when they enter a game, or when they leave a game. I guess it'll be, you know, a flip of a coin, whether it's when they come into the game or when they leave the game. I don't know. But that's definitely something of importance. Um, trying to crack down on, on this substance things for spin rate and all that for pitchers. So I, I, we'll see if, if offensive numbers spike. I don't expect them to, though, to be completely honest. Uh, as for the Yankees, they had a terrible homestand. And I talked about last week, this was a huge week for them coming up. They had six games. They had seven games at home, four games against the Rays, three against Boston. They went two and five. So uh, not great. You know, they split with Tampa, which was like, okay, you split with Tampa. That's that's good. I'll, I'll take a split with Tampa for sure. Um, but then you go and you get swept by Boston. I believe it was the first time in like 10 years that Boston swept the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. First time in a long time, which sounded weird, but it was true. First time in a long time that they swept the Yankees at home. The Yankees are now six and a half games back against uh, of Tampa Bay. Boston's only a game and a half back. So Boston's a game and a half back and the Yankees are five, five games back of Boston, six and a half of Tampa Bay. Not great. Um, they're only a half game in front of the Blue Jays. So I, I don't know, man. It, it's pretty, it's pretty pathetic at this point. Um, they had a good win against Minnesota last night. So I, I guess that's, a po- a positive um they won 8-4 couple home runs uh and Duhar launched a home run a 450 foot bomb so he actually kind of smacked it Sanchez hit a home run but for a long period of time in that game the Yankees were leading and they scored on no hits 
So their first two runs came on a walk with the bases loaded and a wild pitch. And then their third run to take the lead 3-2 came on a sack fly. So they weren't getting hits with runners in scoring position still. They were getting runs across, which is totally fine. I'll take them however way. I don't, I don't care. But it, is, it was a bit alarming that it, it took them so long to actually get a hit that resulted in a run. Uh, but I'll, I'll take the win. I would love a sweep of Minnesota. That would get things back on track a little bit. They won 8-4 last night. Uh, they play tonight again, and Garrett Cole's pitching. Granted, this is post-substance, foreign substance ban, and, fa- and uh, you know, threaten of suspension. Garrett Cole has been one of those guys that people point to as to have used that stuff. He had a press conference where he was asked point blank, has he ever used spider tack or any other foreign substances to help his pitching? And he didn't say no. He kind of tiptoed around the question and said, you know, people get passed down tips and tricks for generations, and it's just like the way the game is. Um, His first start post-MLB threatening to suspend you, if you get caught with that stuff, he allowed five earned runs against Tampa Bay. So that's a complete opposite of what happened, I think, his last start against Tampa, where he went. Uh, I think it was in Tropicana and he went a complete game um, and completely dominated. So we'll see how he go, how he plays against Minnesota tonight and how he pitches because it's going to be an important game for him. I think the Mets had uh, an impressive series in San Diego where they split with the Padres. The Padres took the first two and then the Mets won the last two games of that four-game set. However, they went into Baltimore last night and got smacked up 10-3. to So not the, the best result coming off of, honestly, which should be, it should be a momentum uh, swing. You know, you drop the first two to the San Diego Padres, you win the next two, you go into Baltimore, you should be rolling. And you should take those two games against Baltimore going into another three-game set against the Padres at City Field. But you get smacked up by Baltimore. David Peterson did not pitch well at all. So uh, his on, I think he's on a little bit of a tight, tight leash right now. Uh, I bet Mets fans are wishing they had Noah Syndergaard back because that would answer that, that question mark in the rotation there. Even though Stroman has gone to bat for Peterson before the season started, during the season, uh, and Peterson honestly got off to a pretty good start, but he has been pretty awful his past few starts. So not not a good result in that first game in Baltimore. Ideally for them, they come in tonight and they bounce back. They get their 30th win of the season and then they go into a three-game set this weekend against San Diego. And then you got a four games against Chicago before your inter, er, interdivision play starts. Because after Chicago, you play the Nationals, the Braves, and the Phillies. And then a makeup against the Nationals and then the Braves again. So it's all divisional games after that series against uh, Chicago, which is a four-game set. So you have three against San Diego, four against Chicago, and then the next, I don't know, 12 games, maybe even more, like 15 games are against uh, divisional opponents. So big stretch for the Mets coming up. The Yankees more or less just had that stretch for themselves, and it didn't go so great. So hopefully for the Mets, it turns out a little bit better. But for the Yankees, there's the uh, the next two games against Minnesota, two interleague play games against Philly, and then they play the Blue Jays, Athletics, Royals, and then the Red Sox again at the end of the month. And then they wrap up the last three days of the month against Los Angeles, the Angels. I don't know, man. I'm just starting to think the way last night got off, you know, two runs in the first inning. Uh, Monty didn't look great, but he certainly got his shit together. Aaron Boone keeping him in uh, to face Renfro. Ref Snyder, actually, not even Renfro. Rob Ref Snyder. Keeping him in to face Ref Snyder, I think that was a mistake. Ref Snyder, of course, was, was a, a former Yankee, if you remember. But um, keeping Monty in to play to play against him, it's tough. 
And then he rips uh, rips an RBI double to tie the game at three. Monty leaves. He'll end up getting the no decision because the Yankees offense actually came alive in the late, late, you know, third of that game. Um, that's that's a call he's got to make as a manager. And he went out there, I think, with the intention to pull Monty, and and he he uh, you know vouched for himself and and convinced Boone to let him stay in. And that's what happens sometimes. And you gotta you gotta own up to that. I don't necessarily blame Boone, um, but sometimes, as a manager, you got to know when to pull your player or pull your pitcher. Sometimes managers get talked into letting them stay, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I'm really not too pissed about Boone in that regard. Uh, I probably would say my biggest, my, my biggest beef with, with him is how Giancarlo Stanton's been playing, been used the past... You know, since he's gotten off the IL, really, he hasn't, he, he's been in for a couple games and out, and uh, I think it was Mad Dog Russo was talking about how Sten is a, a rhythm hitter. When he gets hot, he's hot for long periods of time, um, like sometimes months at a time. But if you're playing him like this, and you play him for two games, and then you sit him, and then he comes back in, and he's never going to get into a rhythm and he's going to be awful. I mean, he pinched hit, I think it was against the Red Sox in that series. Pinched hit out in three pitches. He was useless. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I would like, I hope he just gets more significant playing time. Just plug him into the DH spot. Figure the rest out, honestly. Um, and the Yankees now also, they were at a point where it felt like they had too many outfielders and now they it feels like they don't have enough. You know, they experimented with Aaron Judge in center field. I don't really know if that's going to work out. Um, Brett Gardner, obviously, is still a good center fielder, but offensively speaking, he's just not really reliable. Um, even though he did have a sack fly last night, which, you know, is is something, honestly. But I don't think Judge is going to be the guy to be playing center field. I don't think he's fast enough to cover that much ground out there. And I think it would be a tall task to ask him to do that. Um, But hypothetically, if he could, and Duhar, Judge, and Frazier from left to right would be great. I think Frazier is playing, I mean, uh, and Duhar is playing a much better left field. He's starting to hit the ball really well. Um, Last night, he launched like smoked a 450 foot home run and even before that he had like a really hard out he hit the ball on the screws and Astadio over at third base made a diving catch um quick reaction diving catch to steal probably a double away from Andujar but he's been hitting the ball on the screws recently which is a great sign for the Yankees um it's unfortunate that Stanton went from being like an everyday right fielder in Miami to not even being an option in New York to play the field because if Andujar could just be the DH and Stanton being left, that that would be awesome. But Stanton's had so many leg injuries and just nagging injuries that I think, honestly, Boone and the rest of the Yankees organization are afraid to put him out there as an everyday fielder. Guy can barely stay healthy while he's just swinging the bat. You want to now risk him being out there defensively and pulling something? Like, I don't know. It's scary. It's getting scary. And I know there's always going to be the people that are like, oh, it's only June. It's only June. It's only June. Yeah, well, July is going to roll around and the same problems are going to be nagging the Yankees and people are going to be like, oh, it's only July. It's only July. It's only July. These have been the problems that the Yankees have now are not new problems. They're not problems relegated to just this season. They have been problems. So something's got to change. All right, that's my baseball update slash rant to end the podcast. Uh, reminder that the low-key episodes are going to be coming out on Friday. The first one's coming out on Friday. Um, I'll probably watch the episodes Thursday, record it, and then put it out on Friday. That's usually how that goes, or that's probably how that'll be going. Um, next week, no podcast next week. Uh, I'll be away for that entire week from the 14th to the 21st. So no podcast, no Marvel Loki episode on Friday either. And then when I get back that next week, 
um, things will go back to normal. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Um, be sure to watch the Loki show so you can listen to the podcast uh, on Friday when it comes out. Thank you all for listening. Uh, have a great weekend. And I will talk to you all in a couple weeks. It's a lot of them riding and gliding and sliding. It's ready to snatch at your soul. I was 18 still when I got my deal. Then Dre had to go up the road. Now he back outside and see little bro. He got believers. R.I.P. Big Tone. I know you see us. Sorry, I got a phone.